0: Ah, uh, thank you. So, um, welcome online. <laughs> um, so, so that happened. So, I find out afterwards. Uh, I was talking with Scott and Rick outside, and so uh, say hi to Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi. Yep. And so we're outside talking, and um, it's just the, the the three of us there. And he goes, "You know, it was so funny this morning." I said, "Really? What's so funny?" He goes, um, he goes, I came in, and uh, I sat down, you know, w- with Brandon, with Kristen, and Justin, you know, we're sitting there, and, um, and then he saw Rick, and he goes, you know, this is before church even started, he goes, he goes you know, I'd really, like to, I'd really like to hear his testimony, and he points right at Rick, and I'm like, wow, true story, Right? So, that's like... I'm like, wow, that's really... Because there was no plan for Rick to share anything, say anything. It was just... He was in worship mode. Worshipping to an audience of one. Spirit, got, Spirit gave him that on his heart. and he said, hey, listen, you got to share something today. Which I thought was right on the money last week. You know, just totally... I'm so glad I didn't get in the way. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I got out of the way. So, it was good. Um, so, then we're still talking. And uh, I, I forget what we were talking about. I think, I think we were talking about, like, healing or sickness or something. And... And uh, and and then the conversation kind of shifted, and then Rick took over, and he's like, he's like, you know why Pastor can say that? He says, because um, he's able to, or he's striving towards whatever the words were. He's striving towards calling things in that are not currently present. You know, having a lifestyle of faith. And he goes, that's in Romans four. He goes, you should read that. That's in Romans four. And he points right at Scott, and. And so Scott's standing there with his Bible. And Scott is newly saved, by the way. Fairly new believer here. Yeah. It's good news. It's good news. So he's standing there with his Bible. And um, you know, Rick shares it with him. Like, oh, you know, that's, that's pretty helpful. That's good. Um, and then I'm also thinking, like, I don't even know. Does he know where Romans 4 is? or like does so, so he's there. So Scott's, like, right there with his Bible. And he goes, he goes, oh, you mean this one? And he had a marker sitting right there. He goes, this is my plan later today. I was going to talk with my fiance about Romans chapter 4. So then Rick goes, you're freaking me out. You're freaking me out. You know, so it's just so cool. So these two, I don't know what's going on. Um, Or if it was just that Sunday morning, whatever. But it was just cool, you know, just to see like, I, I guess the whole deal with that is just, it's just encouraging that you got a couple of brothers, you know, that are just, in community together on a Sunday morning. No real plan or agenda, but it's just God just pieces some things together to just further encourage them. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. And I think it's like of the utmost importance that we do what we can to like record these things and, and, and make a remembrance of these things. In the Old Testament, what they used to do is they used to make a big pile of rocks. That's, that's how they would memorize things. So God had like brought them through the Red Sea. Pile of rocks. God give them manna. Pile of rocks. God bring them through the Jordan River. Pile of rocks. So anytime they were like placed in a situation where they felt like God showed up and he was answering and becoming a part, pile of rocks. So we got, we, let's make some piles of rocks. You know, not just in our own lives, but together as a church family. Maybe he was priming you for it. That's one thing you know. I was thinking about this week, and it was brought to my attention again this week. And I'm like, you know, I want to make sure I do a good job as these little guys get older. That in our family, we got piles of rocks. Whether it's outside and we're just building a whatever, you know, we're just building a a fence line, boundary line, or we're building some other weird thing. I don't know. Whatever they're into, but we got piles of rocks. And mom and dad be like, yeah, this is when God. And this is when we, and this is when he, and this is when you, right? Piles of rocks. Yeah. Right. Mm. it is and I think there's just a tremendous and and it's true that like in the New Testament it says the Holy Spirit he brings remembrance to our minds of things we might forget and he totally does that Um, but there's also something about having the concrete thing there, you know, that's like, God did this, he's doing that. And so I was praying this week. I was like, Lord, you know our building situation, what's happening. said, you know, you want to do the million dollar thing? Fine, I'm on board. You want to do move to another place thing? Fine, I'm on board. <laughs> we're going to be in a box, or whatever, I'm on board. Whatever you want to do, I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's your deal. So I was just thinking, you know, when, when we get to our new place and we're doing whatever we're going to do, we're going to plaster that thing, just, you know, memories and rocks everywhere. Why is all these rocks over here, you know? Let me tell you why. How long you got? You know, we got a lot of rocks. So, so it's good stuff. So continue to it. So when the Lord puts things on your heart or something happens during the week or something's challenging you and you feel like you're drowning, whatever it is, share it, you know? Share it. Church body, church family, church community, we got to dig our roots deep together doing this thing together. All right? So um, so Isaiah 7. We're going to take a look at this. And, and the title of the message was B.C. Before Christ, before Christmas. But there's a couple things in here I, I have to... Uh, these are good. Let me share these with you here. Very important question. Is there Santa... Oh boy, here we go. I'll tell you what, you know, this whole Santa thing, like, there was a, uh, there's some guys at work, um, you know, good friends, guys to get along with, they're when it comes to spiritual issues, they're totally on the back line, you know, they'll be the ones on the wall, and just, you know, while Mass is going, they'll, they'll be talking, um, they, when we get into whatever conversations we have as a faculty about spiritual things, it's like, you know. But I remember we were in one conversation about Santa Claus, and that conversation just escalated to like, you tell my kid there's no Santa, I'm punching you in the face. and It just got crazy. So it's like, it gets weird, but, but here we go. So is there a Santa? Let's check it out. There are two billion children in the world, but since Santa doesn't appear... Uh, To maybe give gifts to all good children, it might reduce his workload to 15% of the total, or maybe 300 million. So, at an average rate of 3.5 children per household, that's 85.7 million homes. Santa has 31 hours of Christmas to work with, thanks to the different time zones and rotation of the earth, assuming he travels east to west. This works out to 767.9 visits per second. Wow. So for each household with good children, Santa has about one one thousandth of a second to park, hop out of the sleigh, jump down the chimney, fill the stockings, distribute the presents, eat whatever stacks have been left, get back up the chimney, into the sleigh, and onto the next house. So that's just his workload. Here's the next one. Time distance factor. Assuming that these 91.8 million stops are evenly distributed around the Earth, we're talking about 0.78 miles per household, a total trip of 75.5 million miles. hope he's got frequent flyer stuff. That would be awesome. (laughs) Calculation of estimated speed. This means that Santa's sleigh is moving at 650 miles per second, (laughs) or 3,000 times the speed of sound. And then there's one more about the weight. I can only go into that one. So, conclusion. A craft of 353,000 tons traveling at 650 miles per second creates enormous air resistance. This will heat up Mr. Claus and his sleigh like a spacecraft re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. (laughs) Translation, if there's a Santa, he's toast. (laughs) Oh, I do enjoyed that one. And then one last one here. This one's shorter. So here we go. A star in the east. Um, A woman takes her 16-year-old daughter to the doctor. The doctor says, okay, Mrs. Jones, what's the problem? The mother says, it's my daughter, Debbie. She keeps getting these cravings. She's putting on weight and is sick most mornings. The doctor gives Debbie a good examination, then turns to the mother and says, well, I don't know how to tell you this, but but your Debbie is pregnant. About four months would be my guess. So the mother says, pregnant? She can't be. She has never been left alone with a man. Have you, Debbie? Debbie says, no, mother, I've never even kissed a man. The, doc- the doctor walked over to the window and just stares out it. About five minutes passed, and, m- and finally the mother says, is there something wrong out there, doctor? The doctor replies, no, not really. It's just that the last time anything like this happened, a star appeared in the east and three wise men came over the hill, and I'll be darned if I'm going to miss it this time. <laughs> It's good stuff. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. Alright. So here's the, so here's why we kind of paused a little bit and went to um, Isaiah. It's because uh, I've just been kind of been locked in this mode this past week with Christmas and thinking about Christmas and the roots of Christmas. And um, I'm still not exactly sure how the message will go next Sunday. Um, but I I thought about, you know, different passages and different things that people hear in church and what you hear about Christmas and all this kind of stuff. And the first passage you normally hear that comes up and what happens is in Matthew. Austin, you got that slide in Matthew 1? I mean, this is the first reference. Um, It says, "...but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She would give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so that quotation there is from Isaiah, from the passage we're going to read. And so I was just kind of locked in this week. I'm like, that's the first reference to... Jesus being born to fulfill what's being quoted there in Isaiah. And I'm like, what the heck? So when Isaiah said this, he was in a whole other stage of life 700 years earlier. So my, my thing is like, what was going on and how did this show up and what was happening in his life? That's, that's odd to me. And so many times, like, God works through completely separate situations in life to speak into that moment, but then to also speak to what's to the future. And I think uh, there'd be good value in us just looking back at that passage and taking a look at it, because I tell you what, at the heart of the Christmas story is a message of an incredible rescue mission on our worst day. An incredible rescue mission on our worst day. And it gets highlighted even more about how good he is, about what an how did this even happen. It's unbelievable. So you ready to look at it? It's very cool. So let's see. It won't go super long and then we're going to take communion together. So Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 and we're going to walk through this together, okay? So if you got your Bibles, you definitely want to follow along. If you've got... What is it? Page 488. Okay. So let's check this out. So in your Bible, it probably says the sign of Emmanuel. So it says when Ahaz, we're going to get into some names, not a ton, but a few, so don't get lost. So we say Ahaz. 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 So he's kind of our main guy here. He is the king at this current time. So, at this stage, so before we talk about Emmanuel, God is with us, Jesus Christ going to be born in a manger, all that, this happens into a scene where Israel itself is divided. They're, they're divided. They're in separate places. And you've got a southern kingdom called Judah, and you've got a northern one that's called Israel. And this southern one, it's two of the twelve tribes of Jacob. The northern one was the other ten, if you did that math real quick. So you got ten up here, two down here. Israel to the north with the ten, they haven't been doing real good. To the south, Judah, they haven't been doing a whole lot better. So they're not in a great position. And you can kind of tell that because they're split up. So not a great situation. So Ahaz... He is a guy who is king of the two bottom ones in Judah. Does that make sense? So Ahaz, he's king of the bottom two. And just real quick, this guy Ahaz is not like your best guy. In fact, he's a a pretty bad guy. Not a good king. He has not done well. There's been other kings that did well. He's not one of them. So let's see what's going on. So it says, when Ahaz, son of Jotham... Probably don't need to remember that part. Son of Uzziah was king of Judah. So just focus on Ahaz, king of Judah. Then we have two other people. King Rezin, he's a king of Syria, like in your Bible might say Aram. So if everybody said King King Rezin, yep. So you got Ahaz and you got Rezin, and then you got this other guy Pekah. Pekah. So you have Rezin, who's Syria, another country. Pekah, who's like king of those ten northern ones. Okay? So who's the king of the ten northern? Nice job. Who's the king of the two southern? Ahaz, right? And then you have another guy, king of Assyria. Who's that? Rezin, right? So we got our guys. So our three main players. So you got Ahaz. Who are the other two? Resin and, Resin and Pikachu. You got it. These are our guys. Okay, so these are the three. So let's see what's going on. Now, now keep in mind also. Remember I said Syria, right? So it's like Northern Israel and Syria are like talking and hanging out. It's like it's not a good thing. And Judah's not part of this conversation. So this is going to lead to a problem. So, you have all your guys. They marched up, in verse 1 still, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Whoa, 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 whoa. How are they fighting? What's going on? What led to this fight? Glad you asked. Verse 2. Now, the house of David, that's Judah, okay? House of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So here's the deal. The deal is, is the king of the ten northern, which is, who is his name? Oh, boy. All right, so who's the king of the two southern Judah? We got that one. The king of the ten. Pikachu. And then Syria is... We're getting it! We're there. So, Pikachu and resin. they have teamed up in not a good way. So what they did is they said, Hey, Listen. I'm Pikachu, you're resin. And there is a major world power on the scene. Major world power. Assyria. Huge. And they are basically rolling through countries and taking over. In brutal ways, like just brutal. So, northern Israel, who's the king of that? Pikachu. And then, Syria resin, they're like, hey, listen. This guy's rolling through. Uh, we we should get together. There was no like consultation of God, and is this a good thing? Or Hebrew like we're chosen God's people? It was just like, nah, we are scared. Seems to make the most sense that we'll have strength in numbers, so we should partner up. And then they start talking. They say, hey, listen, you know what we should do? We should just invade Judah to the south of us, and just take them over, and say, hey, listen. You're with us. You don't have a choice. Because either Assyria is going to get you or we're going to get you. So then Ahaz is like, ah, he's scrambling. And then it describes that their hearts were like the trees of the forest. They were shaken by the wind. They're just That's the way their hearts were. So you see like a leaf blowing in the breeze. They weren't too stable then. They're just blowing. They're in trouble. So this is like a stressful anxiety filled completely divided time the birth of Christmas is coming out of this so verse 3 it says then the Lord said to Isaiah there's our guy go out you and your son share Joshua Julie turned down that name got a J in there. (laughs) Wait till you see his other son's name. It's ridiculous. Go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. So basically, go meet him at the spot. You and your son. Verse 4. Say to him, say to Ahaz, right? Be careful Keep calm, and don't be afraid. So that's some pretty encouraging words, right? So that's his message that he's coming with. And I told you Ahaz is not a good guy, right? I'm going to get more detail about that. He's like worse than what you're thinking. But the message from God is, go up there and meet him. I'm telling you, he's not a good dude. We're going to get into that. But go meet him, and your initial message is, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. He's probably going to say, Man, too late. But that's the message that he's coming with the word of the Lord from. Verse 6, he continues. Oh, sorry, still in verse uh, 5. He also says, Do not lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, who are those guys? Razin and Pikachu. What does he call them? He calls them names. There's name calling in the Bible. Smoldering stubs of firewood. In other words, you know what a smoldering stub of firewood is? It, does it make a fire last? No, it just dies off. It's just smoldering. It's dying. It's just a little thing, you know. So because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, verse 6, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the sons of Tabel king over it. So they've said, hey, listen, our plan is go invade. We'll tear him apart. We'll take him over and we'll set up a guy that will go with us and we'll put him in place. Talk about steamrolling your agenda. This is to the extreme, Right? Sometimes you're steamrolling somebody to try and get you to go out to dinner to the right place. I mean, this has got taken way extreme. Trying to control an entire nation, a country. So verse 7. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. This is what he's saying God said. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years... Ephraim, that's that ten tribes in the north, will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramallah's son. Basically, these guys aren't going to last long. In 65 years, they'll be completely gone. They won't even be an issue anymore. They think they're going to do something, but they're not going to do it. They've made plans. They've made life. They've made an agenda without consulting me first. They relied on logic and they relied on what they thought the best military strategy was, but it was not. Some of us might know something about approaching life in that way. Sometimes we do exactly what makes the most sense given the information. Many times, that is not what God is looking for. Many times, He's looking for a heart that... Throws on the brakes first and submits and cries out. You say, Lord, here's what I know. Here's the information. But I also know who you are and I want you glorified and magnified in my life. What are we doing? These guys didn't even consider that. They're just like, this is, ba- this is bad, they're big, they're dangerous, we've got to team up. We're making a team. Never even considered. Interesting what Isaiah says here to close it up. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It's a big deal. Throw it on your refrigerator. Post it on Facebook. Say it to your friends. I hope this is part of your Christmas language. If you don't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand firm at all. God, I need you. i got to live a life by faith. That's what I'm called to. So verse 10, again the Lord spoke to Ahaz. So he had talked to him previously. Now he's speaking again to him. Second time God is approaching this man who has really not done good things and he's intentionally not done good things. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. So listen, you have this turmoil going on. You're about to be taken over. I'm telling you, you've got to stand firm. It doesn't look good, but you have to believe. This is a faith issue right now. This is not a logic issue. You've got to believe. And then he comes to him again and says, Hey, listen, ask for a sign. Maybe you're struggling believing. Maybe you're unsure of what I said. Maybe you're unsure that God will really come through and that he's for you. Ask me for a sign. It's interesting, right? Isn't it a little bit encouraging too? God understands our hearts and He knows how we are? Check out His... Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I won't ask God. I will not test Him in the situation. And even doesn't it say, do not put the Lord your God to the test? I mean, Jesus even used that language. This is good Christian language. Big time issue here though. The big time issue is this. Is he's using Christian language to cover up a completely hypocritical and evil heart. He's using the Christian language. Like it sounds really good. Oh, I don't want to test God, you know. Just... You want to know why he really didn't want to test God? The reason why he didn't want to test God is because he has already gone to the king of Assyria. And he said, I am your vessel. Do with me what you like. Come on in to God's temple. I'll give you the silver and the gold. We're yours. He already sold out without even telling Northern Israel, and certainly not Syria, they're not on the best of talking terms anyways, but nobody knows about it. He already sold out. Also what this man has done is he offered his kids as a sacrifice on the altar of Molech. So he killed his kids for the sake of a pagan god. So then I'm like, oh my God. So his first response when he comes out to him is, it's okay, don't be afraid, be careful, I am with you. I'm like, Dang, Lord, like, why, why would you respond in that way? What What?" And you have to just know God's heart. To know that, he is not sparing and looking to spare that nation for the sake of what he has done. He's looking to spare it and intercede on behalf of those that are faithful. Their, faithful, their faithfulness in his relation to them matters so much that he's going to deal with Ahaz in the way he's going to deal with him, but he also wants to remain faithful to the hearts that are crying out and pouring out to him. That is Powerful. That it looks past the tremendous evil in that guy's heart and in that guy's life. And God is saying, hey, listen, this ain't going to happen. Drawing the line here. Not part of my plan. It's unbelievable. So he made these deals on the side. And he was never honest. We're going to read it in a minute. He was never honest and said, hey... I confess. I made a deal. I went to Assyria. It wasn't right. But now you're saying God is with us. It's not going to happen. I want to go that way. Uh, What do I got to do? Never even went there. was never even a part. It was, I did my thing. I'm doing it my way. I didn't want to consider God. And I'm going to use religious language to cover it up. As if I'm pious in some way. Bad news stuff, right? We do this stuff I've done this stuff We just religiously use religious language to cover up other things that aren't really going on. We never get to the real issue of things. We never do. It's just a cover-up that delays what God wants to do. It's a cover-up. So check it out. So Isaiah just blasts them. Verse 13. Then Isaiah said, here now you house of David is it not enough to try the patience of men will you try the patience of God also aka you're full of nonsense God knows you ain't getting away with this verse 14 here we go look at this therefore the lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Sounds familiar, right? Verse 15, he will eat curds and honey, and when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, so Jesus had an ability to reject the wrong and choose the right, huh? He had choices. He was able to do it and get it done. Verse 16, But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread, is going to be laid waste. There won't be anything there. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. And then the rest of the passage goes into basically explaining how what's going to happen to them that they don't need to fear the other two, because they're, they're really nobodies, they need he needs to fear the guy he made a deal with because he's coming in and taking over. And God's going to use him as a tool. And we read on Christmas morning, you got that Matthew 1 verse again? And we read usually on Christmas morning, you know, all this, later on, verse 22, 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel. That's where this shows up. It's crazy, right? So, the birth of Christ was promised and prophesied absolutely on our worst day. A day when there was nothing but strife, war, division, lying, manipulation. Guess what? That didn't change. That did not change who God is and what he wanted to do. Yes! Didn't change it. Didn't change it. And you say, no, I'll give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. That's fine. A sign number one, they won't be there anymore. But a sign that also, I'm going to provide a virgin. When he grows up, those two lands would be laid waste. And as we, find out, as we find out more next week, which we'll dive in even further, about how that sign will then fulfill all that Ephraim, Judah, and all of mankind will be looking for the whole time anyways. A sign that God is in control, he's completely sovereign, and he will do what he needs to do and get it done, regardless of who's in his way and what they think they're doing. So, you got to look to someone next to you and say, God is in control. Now, really say it to them. Yeah. We need to be encouraged with that. We need to be encouraged with that. Some people use the God is in control thing as a license to just live and say and do anything that they want to do. Yeah, wrong thing. God is in control. That's incredibly encouraging for the Christian because he's our faith, our hope, and our glory of our life. And we feel like he's said things to us, and we feel like we've prayed things to him, that sometimes there's a gap, or there's things that haven't made sense. He is in control, and he is good, and he will be faithful. That's what Christmas is about. He is good, he is in control, and he is faithful. And what Isaiah said is, if you don't stand firm in that faith, you are not standing. You will know all about that life of your heart being just taken by the wind like a leaf. And guys, we got the Holy Spirit to anchor us and set us secure. It's really good news. Really goodness. And so Christmas is just a story about, man, hope and restoration and about a God that is fully in control. And he decided to prophesy in the middle of just chaos and craziness. And I don't know what people bring in here today or what is currently going on. Your life might be going okay and fairly peaceful. That's a huge amen. Keep it rolling. And if it's not, that's okay too. Because there is a God who is in control and will be Faithful to his children. We've been promised that. We've been promised to live a life inside of Jesus, not of ourselves. So we're not just left to our own devices and our own way of doing things. And he is the best at restoration and redeeming things that were lost. Things that seem like lost causes. Things that just seem like, I don't know how this is going to happen. It's perfect. That's the, exactly the moments that he's looking for to speak life into. But he's looking for the Christians to stand up in faith in those moments and say, God is good and he's faithful. He's going to come through on this. He's going to do it. How do you know? Because he's my father. Well, how do you know? I got a pile of rocks. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> he's good and he is faithful. faithful. His son was just a sign of that. And that birth was just the beginning. The cross is where it really culminated. That's what all that He Made Away in a Manger song is about. That's an awesome song, by the way. But Christmas is good news. It's really good news. God can be trusted. He's not going to abandon his people. He won't abandon us. And sometimes that just like needs to be said from our mouths and from those around us. Because if we're all honest about it, at some point in time, we're like we're in gaps of what we think and what we feel like God should be doing, but it's not really happening. And sometimes it's just a gap. And it's not called to be perilous times within the gap. It means that God is true and he's faithful and there will be provision in the process and he'll set us up for what's greater. It's just a fundamental issue of the Christian life. We've got to stand firm in that faith. So much hope and so much goodness filled in Christmas. Just in the announcement of a virgin coming. It's amazing. And then we're going to go next week, we're going to talk about like eight and nine a little bit, pick out some pieces there because some other just really cool stuff in there. But looking at the roots of Christmas, I think just has tremendous amount of value. I I, I could see a God that could like make a way for people to be saved and helped on a good day where they're mostly getting along and they're mostly behaving and kind of doing a good job? That just makes more sense in my mind? It makes almost no sense to get his, his, his Hebrew kids are just fighting and lying and just sinning unbelievably. And he chooses to speak into that moment says, yeah, I know it's happening. But I got a voice that's going to speak the truth. And it's going to be faithful. And I'm looking for those that are going to stand on faith. So I hope you guys, like, we're ready to stand on faith. Because if we don't stand on it, we got nothing to stand on. We got nothing to stand on. And it is risky. And there is a lot of unknowns. And many times, you will bring up amazingly awesome questions that have really crappy answers a lot of times. That's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. That's when he has a chance to show up. Did you want to share something before you do communion? Yeah, and, and I don't want to like, and I, I'm not on like a, a, a crusade either against Santa. I mean, just the Christmas itself, just completely pagan through and through. I'm not denying that. You do any research at all, it's, it's not good. It's not a good look for Christmas. I mean, just the whole thing of getting the tree, putting it in your house, why they decorated it, why they grabbed the tree, why it was a pine tree, there's just all kinds of things. Pagan through and through. There's also a lot of other things that are pagan through and through. Um, Even the days of the week. All kinds of things. But for the Christian, we don't have to be held to that. We don't have to be. We can redeem the day and speak truth and life into what's going on. And we do live in this world, but we're not a part of this world. So somehow we've got to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us a balance on that prayerfully. I think it's really good prayer to just, God, I'm not quite sure how to handle this Christmas and, like, talk with people that I care about around me. But I want to do it in a way that honors you, but I don't want to do it at the cost of you. So there's a lot of things that cause us to think about, you know, and address and get into. So we have communion up here. Um, If we could, uh, we'll do that uh, Away in a Manger song. He made a way. And, um, you like to come up? Grab the elements. Hold on to that. We'll take it together and then we'll close up in prayer. Sound good? Okay.